I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke. We continue our series with Luke. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. Remembering how Luke told us at the very beginning, there are other Gospels already written, but God had inspired him to write yet another. So what is it that God wanted us to hear from the Gospel according to Luke? And while you're turning... I want to share with you that according to the Book of Discipline of the United Methodist Church, which is kind of our book of order, uh, if a pastor has been in place for over six years or so and would like, they're able to take a little bit of time for renewal. And the Reverend Ed Briggs has requested to be able to take a little bit of time in October for a time of renewal and a time of spiritual regeneration. And uh, he'll be working with a spiritual mentor. He's got a couple of different classes that he will actually be a part of. So Ed will not be here for the month of October since he'll be doing this renewal leave. And after watching him on the video trying to get ping pong balls out of a Kleenex box that was strapped to his waist, I'm beginning to understand more why he needs some leave. <laughs> Maybe meeting with a chiropractor or somebody too, I'm not sure. But. Uh, but it is, it's, you know, Ed will have a spiritual director that he'll be uh, working with during this time. Uh, but our, our hope is and our plan is that Ed will be in ministry here for many, many years to come. He's just such a jewel, and he's been in this church for 13, 14 years now in this role. And um, just looking for that um, time of regeneration so he can see how does, he, how does he do the next phase of his ministry here at this church. So we wanted you to know, so if you don't see Ed in October, you won't just kind of put the rumor mill at work and trying to, where's Ed? You know, he didn't look good the last time I saw him. I, you know, we want to be careful with that. So he'll actually be on a spiritual renewal leave. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 18, where Luke writes, A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. He replied, I've kept all these since my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, There's still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? He replied, What's impossible for mortals is possible for God. Then Peter said, Well, look, we've left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, there's no one who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not get back very much more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. 
And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I mean, it's a question that Jesus has been asked before. What do I need to do? Am I okay? How do I know I'm okay? Back in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we're told that one day a lawyer stood up and asked Jesus that question. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? But we're also told that in that case, the lawyer, one who had studied the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law of God, was standing up not because he wanted to know so that he could grow to be the disciple that God had called him to be, so that he could mature in his faith, but rather just to put Jesus to the test. We want to trap him. We want to see if we can mess him up. And Jesus asked him, well, what's written in the law? And he said, well, love God, love your neighbor. Jesus said, do that and you'll live. And then he goes, well, who's my neighbor? That's when we get the story of the Good Samaritan. But this young ruler, Matthew, tells us he's young. This young man who comes up to Jesus doesn't appear to be trying to put Jesus to the test. He seems to want to know. I need to know. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Am I okay? We, we have people ask that question a lot as they, they share their faith stories with us and, and, and they'll come desiring to know, do you think I'm okay in my relationship with God? Or there may be somebody that they dearly love. They just want to know, do you think they're okay? If anything happens, you think they're okay. Sometimes we just want to know, and this young guy comes up to Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus looks at him and he goes, well, you know the commandments. Like, you should not commit adultery, you do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, honor your father and mother. You know the commandments. And the young man feels relieved. Oh. And I think there might have even been a, yes! And Jesus said, what is it? And he goes, well, I've been doing all that since I was in the youth program. I mean, I've been, I've been doing those since I was just a kid. I got this. And when Jesus looked at him, he went, well... Because the scripture says, Luke tells us, it's after Jesus saw that, when he heard that, when he witnessed that. Jesus said, but for you, I think there might still be one thing lacking. You need to go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And we're told that this guy was, was just so sad at this point. I mean, oftentimes when we come up and we ask the question, are we okay? We're really looking for affirmation. We just want to know, yeah, you're good. You're okay. All is good. I mean, sometimes when we even come for counseling, when people come in for counseling and, and, and they're working through, what we want to hear is, you're okay, you're doing fine, you'll be good. All you need to do is just kind of keep doing what you're doing, but really, you're all right. We want to hear that affirmation. We want to know when, sometimes when we come to worship, we, even, we want to make sure, and this is not going to be the sermon for that, but we want to make sure that it's, a, it's, a, it's an uplifting kind of sermon that just makes us feel good about who we are and where we are. As a matter of fact, you can fill up a former basketball arena with that kind of preaching. But there's more to it than that. Jesus looks at this guy and says, well, there's, 
there's something missing. And it makes me wonder, you think really that Jesus really meant for this guy to go sell everything that he had and give it to the poor? I mean, do you really think that Jesus was literal here? Now, I will tell you, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture when somebody comes up to me and go, you know, I think the Bible, you should take the Bible literally because God said it, I believe it, that settles it, so you take this literally as it is. And I get tickled because I'll go, great, Jesus said you need to go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then they'll go, well, what he was meaning was. <laughs> you know, I mean, all of a sudden, well, not that part, the rest of it. But not that part. So I wonder, I mean, was it literal, do you think? Do you think Jesus really meant for the guy to go sell everything? Do you think if, if the guy had gone out and, and begrudgingly because he was sad and he went out and said, fine, and he had this huge yard sale and sold everything that he had and, and gave the money to the poor and came back and said, fine, I sold it, it's gone. Now am I good? Do you think Jesus would have said, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or was Jesus looking a little deeper at what's going on inside the heart and wrestling with him there? I mean, this question alone raises the problem, and that's what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? It's not like our salvation is some checklist that, that here are the things, and if, and if you score at least an 80 on the final exam, you're in the kingdom of God. It's, it's not some kind of checklist. So what did Jesus want? Jesus has this uncanny ability to look deep into our hearts. And so we're told, what do I need to do? And Jesus gave him the commandments. And when he went, you know, I'm good. I'm good. Been doing that since I was a kid. Jesus realized, yeah, there's still something between us. There's still something that's interfering in your walk with me. I think for you, you need to sell all you have and give it to the poor. And when Jesus sees the sadness, he looks at the young man in 24, verse 24 and says, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I will just tell you, this is not a popular South Charlotte scripture. But it's one we have to wrestle with a little bit because it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Well, that's just impossible. So do you think Jesus is really saying here that it's impossible for anybody who has wealth? It's impossible for anyone who's blessed? I mean, did God give us the blessings and then because we have the blessings, that means we can't enter the kingdom? What does this mean? Is Jesus using hyperbole here? Hyperbole, that means a gross exaggeration, an over-exaggeration. Jesus is known to use that. I mean, for example, if you look back in Luke chapter 6, verse 41, Jesus said, how is it that some of you look at your brother or sister and talk about the speck that they have in their eye while you have a log sticking out of your own eye? Now, do you think that was literal? I mean, did you think Jesus going, y'all are looking at a splinter in somebody else's eye while you're walking around carrying this log in your own obviously that wasn't literal jesus is making a point it's absurd that you judge someone else and point out someone else's faults when you have your own stuff that you need to deal with so is this hyperbole is it a gross exaggeration an over exaggeration that jesus is using to make a point 
easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle? Well, maybe. Some scholars think so, but other scholars think that it might have a different meaning. When we were in Israel several years ago, we were standing at one of the gates in Jerusalem. I think we may have a picture that I can show you. There you go. So this is one of the, the gates at the city of Jerusalem. This is outside. This is one of the walls. That's Wee Sam, who's a Palestinian Christian, who was our guide at that time. And, and, and he's standing there sharing with us and, and teaching. And one of the things that you had is, is that you had this great wall that goes around the cities, like the city of Jerusalem. But at night, you would close those huge gates to protect and seal off the city. Well, what happens if at night somebody comes up... Let me in. Let me in. Well, if late at night you open up these big double gates and there's an enemy on the outside, someone who's forcing someone to call out, a, an enemy that's wanting to, to burst in with, with soldiers to overrun the city, well, you're vulnerable once you've opened up everything. So what do you do? Well, they would often, inside the city gate, create the smaller gate. Now, that's obviously a newer one, but you see the little door inside the big door? Well, you would have a little door inside the city gate so that when somebody came up, let me in, you could open the little door. But it was strategic. You see how short that little door is? The little door was short for a reason, so that when you opened the little door, someone coming in had to bend in to get in. And on the other side of the door would be one of the guards or soldiers standing there with a sword held high. So if that was an enemy, when you came in, you're in position. <laughs> so it was a way of letting someone in without becoming vulnerable to everyone. And that little door inside the big gate is known as the eye of the needle. So then the question becomes, is Jesus saying that it's easier for a camel to get through the little door? I mean, it's a little door, but there is a possibility. Camels go down on their knees. That's why their knees are all calloused up. Maybe if you, if you, if you take off their load and you, you kind of get them through the door, you might even have to lube them up a little bit. But there's a possibility. But it's not going to be easy. Now, regardless of whether it's meant to be a sewing needle or the eye of the needle that's the little door inside the gate of the city, Jesus is trying to make a point that it's sometimes difficult when we're so blessed to stay faithful. I mean, I think we saw that on 9-11. Remember when all of a sudden we were scared and the weeks following churches were full but it didn't take but a few months once we were comfortable again attendance went back to the norm because it's easy once we feel secure and once we feel blessed it's easy for us to kind of forget about god and so Jesus spends a lot of time talking. As a matter of fact, Jesus spent more time talking about our wealth and our money than any other single thing. And why? Well, it's because Jesus needed a certain amount of offering per Sunday to carry out his key. Oh, come on. It's Jesus. God can speak the whole world into existence by merely saying the word. It's not that he needs our money. 
It's a bigger point than that. It's much larger than that. I think what Jesus is looking at when he sees this young man and he sees the reaction of, whew, man, I've been doing that since I was a kid. Jesus said, you know, you have kept all those commandments, but it seems that, that there's another one that you're missing. As a matter of fact, of the Ten Commandments, it's number one. Exodus 20, verse 3. The commandment you seem to be struggling with is that you'll have no other gods before me. That's the one you seem to be wrestling with because you are so blessed that, that rather than seeing your, all that you have as a blessing from God, you're now turning your blessings into your God. Rather than seeing them as a blessing from God, you're turning your blessings into your God. And now these gifts that you've received are standing between you and me. You can't follow when there's something between us like this. As a matter of fact, the second commandment in the Ten Commandments is you shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for the Lord your God is a jealous God. And all of a sudden, these wonderful things that you've been blessed with are now interfering with your spiritual life. I mean, I remember one time I was talking to a guy who was serving a church just above Greensboro. There was, there was a guy who had a business in the Kernersville area, and we were customers of the business. And, and, and he was a little sarcastic about his faith and about you know, his family's faith. And, of course, then being the preacher a little bit with me. And so, you know, sometimes we would have that. Uh, bantering back and forth and he looked at me one day and he said well I just want you to know preacher I do believe in the here and after so I am here and I am after it and that's what he was meaning was I, you you just watch just watch and see what happens over my life because I, we're gonna have I'm gonna have and I'm gonna and we're gonna and I'm gonna because I am somebody I believe in the here and after and I'm here and I'm after it I think that's where Jesus might have went, ah, for you, you might need to have a yard sale. I mean, it's why I think Paul says to Timothy, it's the love of money that's the root of the evil. It's not money, it's not wealth, it's not the blessings, that's not the issue. It's when do our blessings become a problem. Just a few moments ago, we sang this beautiful song called the doxology. I love the doxology. It's great theology. Next time you sing the doxology, think about it, because it goes like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I mean, the whole point is to recognize that everything we have and everything we are is a gift from God. And the fact that we have blessings is not the negative. The problem becomes is when our blessings become our God instead of a gift from our God. So Jesus spends some time talking with this guy. And I think the other problem is, is, is that our wealth and our blessings, and I'm wealthy, I'm blessed, I confess. But they can cause us to forget about God if we're not careful. There's a scripture. If you're the kind of people who like to put a tab in your Bible or underline a scripture in the Bible, I got one for you. It's Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now I know you don't hear that often. Where people go, you know, my favorite book in the Bible is Leviticus followed by Deuteronomy. It's not often that you hear this, but Deuteronomy chapter 8, I think, is one of those that we need to look at. I think that every American should probably mark Deuteronomy 8. Because it's actually the scripture where the children of Israel are getting ready to enter into the promised land. 
and God is preparing them to enter into the promised land. But listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 8, verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with flowing streams, with springs and underground waters welling up into valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vine and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat without scarcity, where you'll lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and from whose hills you may mine copper. You shall eat your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that he's given to you. I mean, it does not sound like God is going, if you're following me, you need to be destitute. That's not what he's saying. Now, that's not prosperity preaching either, but it's not, you have to be destitute. God is blessing, and they're blessings from God. But listen to verse 11. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God. By failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, his statutes, which I'm commanding you today, when you've eaten your fill, and when you've built your fine houses and live in them, which is what God expects you to do, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied, and your silver and gold has multiplied, and all that you have has multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness and arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made the water flow for you from Flint Rock, and he fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know to humble you and to test you, and in the end to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. You know, the I work 80 hours a week, I went to college and studied night and day, and, and, and if other people would work as hard as I work, they could have everything that I have because, you know, not that kind of stuff. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth, but remember... The Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the power to get wealth. Gave you the ability to study night and day. Gave you access to the education that you may have. Gave you the ability and the gifts and grace that allowed us to be successful. So that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he's doing today. If you do forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you'll surely perish like the nations that the Lord is destroying before you. And you'll perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. See, I think, I think that's what God is trying to say to this young man is, you're blessed, but your blessings are a gift from God, but unfortunately your blessings are causing you to forget about God and get in the way of your relationship with God. For you, I, I think you may need a yard sale. And our wealth, if we're not careful, can cause us to forget about our neighbor. If you look at Luke chapter 12, there's a story that's told about this family who's fighting over an inheritance. Now, I know it's kind of hard for us to imagine this, but back in biblical times, sometimes when people died, the, the relatives would fight over what was left. So just try to imagine. I know it's, it's a stretch. So one day, the heirs are arguing back and forth over about what they get, and, and then Jesus shares this parable. He said... In verse 16, the land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I'll do this, I'll pull down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to my soul, soul, 
You have ample goods laid up for many years, so just relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things that you prepared, whose will they be now? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. You know, I think the issue was here is that, that again, here, here's a man who was so blessed. He was a farmer and his crops produced so abundantly one year that all of his barns were filled to the top. And he was stuck going, I still have crops to bring in. What am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build some bigger barns for myself. And you know what's interesting is he never thought, praise God, praise God, I am so blessed, my barns are full. I know that now my family will have food on the table, clothes on their back, shelter over their head. We are so blessed. God has given us amazing, wonderful things. And now how can I share that with my... I'm going to call my neighbors. Because some of my neighbors, their crops didn't, didn't produce like mine. Some other people are struggling to make a living. Some people don't have food on their table. Some people don't have clothes on their back. Some people don't have shelter over their head. But praise God, my barns are full and I have leftover, I'm going to share with others. Didn't cross his mind. First commandment, love God. Second one, love your neighbor. Didn't even cross his mind. I can tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And I think that's why God said, you're such a fool. You didn't realize how blessed you were. I think it raises the question that we have to wrestle with. I have to wrestle with, and that is, at what point is enough enough? At what point is enough enough? My barns are full. Now I can get a bigger one. You know, I think we struggle. I think Jesus talks about this stuff so much because he knows I want to bless my people, but sometimes the greatest gift can be the greatest vice. Sometimes the blessings that should lead people to praise God will actually interfere in their relationship with God. And when that happens, they might just need to have a yard sale. Now, what I want you to hear is, is that wealth is not the issue. I mean, I'll just confess to you, I've shared with you before, I, I grew up out in, in the country, beautiful area. As a matter of fact, you know, sometimes I, I tell Nancy when we go back up there and I see these beautiful farms that, you know, when you're growing up in it, you're going, I can't wait to, to get away. And then once you're away, you're going, if I knew what I was doing and could make a living, I'd just go back and buy one of those farms. And I mean, it's just beautiful country, but, but we, we didn't have that much growing up. We didn't know we didn't have that much because we had what everybody else had that lived around us. We just didn't know what other people had. Isn't it funny how you're happy with what you have until you see what somebody else has? I mean, we, we were okay. We lived in a modest home. My dad was a diesel mechanic. He raised... I mean, he, he made us living with his hands, and he raised us in this, in this nice, modest home, but we had food on our table, clothes on our back. We had shelter over our head. I mean, we only had one bathroom, but it was free at 4.30 in the morning. That's why I became a morning person. <laughs> but it, it was a great, modest living, but we were not wealthy at all. And then when I was in high school, my dad had his first of eight heart attacks. And I was thinking about going to college. How are you going to pull that off? I mean, we didn't have the resources for that. And then to seminary, 
How are you going to go to seminary? Well, I'll tell you. I, I was able and blessed a little country boy from North Iredell to go to Emory University in Atlanta for my master's degree. You know how? Because there's a guy in Florida, his name is Frank Sherman. He was a United Methodist member of a church there. And, and, and he just seemed to be blessed. Whatever he touched seemed to, to turn to gold. And he said, you know what? God has really blessed me. And if, if there's some little preacher that's trying to go to school while also pastoring a little church, I'll pay their tuition. I'll, I'll cover their school expenses. So I'm a Sherman scholar, is what they're called from Emory. Because there was a man who took his wealth and said, Praise God from whom all blessings flow, and how can I use that for the glory of God? And I'm here today because, well, a guy had some wealth and used it for the glory of God. Several years ago, there was a businessman from the Greensboro area. His name was uh, Royce Reynolds, Royce and Jane. They go to West Market Street United Methodist Church and and he started looking around at Methodist preachers, and he goes, you know, I don't think seminaries are doing a, an excellent job training them on leadership. I mean, they're getting the theology and everything else, but the leadership skills are just a little, eh. And so he said, I need to do something about that. I mean, God has blessed me. If you've ever been down Wendover, you've seen Royce and Jane Reynolds Boulevard and all, those crown, all the crown dealerships and stuff through there. And so he, he goes to West Market Street Methodist Church, and so he, in conversation with his pastor and others, he created a leadership program using the Center for Creative Leadership there in Greensboro that a lot of business executives and others go to for training. And, and so he partnered up with them and Duke University, and he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run some pastors through a program. A program cost about $10,000, and I was invited to go through the program. Wow, you know, I learned a lot of what I learned because there was somebody who well, was blessed with wealth and said, praise God from whom all blessings flow. How can I use the blessings that God has given to me to make a difference in the lives of others? And I'm a recipient of that gift. You see, it's, it's not the fact that we have, but it's the fact that do we see our blessings as gifts from God or they become our God or they get in the way of us and God? I mean, we saw this great video just a few moments ago about a ministry with our senior adults. And, and, and it's interesting when people come up and go, you know, I wish I could do more in the life of the church. I wish I could make a bigger difference. I wish I could help with the ministries and the missions of the church more. But I'm just going to tell you, when you've got two boat payments, two car payments, uh, and a house, two house payments and private school payments and club dues, there's just not a lot left. Maybe. Maybe if that's the case, some of us need to have a yard sale. When the blessings we have are no longer seen as gifts from God, but become our God or interfere in our relationship with God, that becomes a conflict. So I wonder, if I walked up to Jesus and said, hey, I just want to know, are we okay? What would he say? Well, there's one thing. What would it be? How do I use my gifts and my blessings from God for the glory of God? Let's pray. God, we are just so grateful for your love and grace, and, and you have blessed us. And, and God, we're so grateful, but I, I think the reason you said that it's so difficult is because it is so easy 
for our blessings from you to take the place of you. And it's so easy when we are blessed to begin to hoard those blessings for ourselves by tearing down barns and building bigger barns. And it's so easy to begin to feel that it's us. We did it. We earned it. We deserve it. And it becomes an entitlement rather than a blessing. So why do we praise you for something we deserve? So God, we pray that you would help us to look at our lives too. And help us to see that one thing that we may need to change. So that we can be your disciples in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.